Good morning. Well, we're going to get into Ruth chapter 3 in a second, and it's a story that's all about risk. I wonder if you're a risk taker. Are you somebody who likes to, I don't know, when you go out for a curry, um, try something new on the menu, take a bit of a risk, or do you stick with the same old safe options? Or maybe in business or with your work, are you somebody that risks, who kind of pushes the boat out, who likes to push boundaries, who likes to, um, to take a chance? Or maybe with relationships, are you bold? You're happy to go and ask that person out and just take a risk, see what happens. Or are you more, a bit like me, more risk averse? Somebody who likes to paint within the lines, um, be a little bit more safe, think of, about the options for the future and, and pick a safe road. Are you a risky person? Are you risk averse? Well, the story today is full of risk. Um, Christmas is a time that can be full of risk, isn't it? Risky conversations with relatives, um, asking somebody to cook a part of the Christmas dinner that they haven't done before and um, getting kids involved in that. I don't know, there's all sorts of risks that we can have around Christmas time and, and maybe the biggest risk of all, living for Jesus, giving your life to him, handing over the reins of your life to, to God and, and letting him guide your steps. That's a risky thing, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that um, that the people do in our passage today. A little background before we read the passage. Um, well, if you were here last week, you'll remember, Ruth chapter one is full of darkness. Darkness of famine and empty stomachs. The darkness of, um, of empty, empty households because of, because of death. Naomi is a woman who's, whose life has just been a tragedy. She's left her home because of famine. Her husband's died, her sons have died. One of her daughters-in-law has has walked away and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing but it's a sad thing but Ruth has stuck by Naomi through all of that darkness Ruth is the um, the one ray of hope through chapter one and then we get into chapter two and that hope begins to break out at the beginning Naomi's wanted to change her name because life I mean how could life get better how could it be a happy ending and the answer is through Ruth God is going to do something wonderful so in chapter two Ruth just so happens to go out to work and, and meet a man called Boaz. She goes to work in his field and he turns out to be a wonderful man. She's full of humility. She's a lovely woman herself. But Boaz is full of kindness. Boaz takes Ruth under his wing and kind of prays a prayer and prays a prayer, gives her a blessing where he says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. He realizes Ruth is a good woman realizes that she's taken refuge under God's wing, and then he almost becomes the embodiment of that protecting, providing kind of care by looking after Ruth. So that's where we left it, um, with Naomi beginning to realize that God isn't against her, that actually God hasn't stopped. It says in two, chapter two, verse 20, he hasn't stopped showing his kindness, his, um, his really deep, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. God hasn't stopped showing that kindness to the living and the dead. That's what Naomi says. And then she hatches a plan, a bit of a risky plan. So let's see how it works out in chapter three. Ruth chapter three goes like this. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find rest for you. I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. 
When Boas had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment, or spread the corner of your wings over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kindness, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You haven't run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there's, there's another who is more closely related than I am. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the, this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So do you see Naomi's plan? It's a risky one, isn't it? Um, she says, dress, put on your best clothes, get out of your work clothes and possibly widow's clothes. Um, that Ruth was wearing, get out of those and go find Boaz in the middle of the night, uncover his feet, presumably so he gets cold and wakes up, and when he wakes up, see what happens. You see, they make a plan, um, and it's a bit of a risky plan, isn't it? A bit of a risque plan, you might say, as well. Um, we'll get to that in, in a minute, but where does this kind of planning come from? Because at the beginning, in chapter one, Ruth doesn't have, so Naomi doesn't have any kind of plan. She's just going back to Bethlehem, not really thinking much about the future at all. But do you see? Naomi has changed, and it's hope that's changed her. Hope has become like an engine in her life that's driving her on to plan good things, to plan good for other people. And what is the good that she wants to plan? Well, it's rest. Did you see that right at the beginning of the passage? She says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, I must find rest or find a home for you. That's what she's talking about. A place where you'll be provided for, because it wasn't easy for widows in those days. It was a risky place to be, a single woman, a woman um, who didn't have any close family looking after her. So Boaz has kind of taken on that role so far, but they're still hard up. They're still up against it, these two widows living together. And so Naomi wants to find Ruth, rest. Rest so that she can, well, rest in all sorts of different kind of ways that you can imagine for her. Naomi's begun to plan good. Her aim is rest and hope is the engine. It's the engine for her to begin to plan some strategic righteousness. That's one, um, one writer's way of summarising what Naomi's doing here. She is doing strategic righteousness. She's got a strategy, she's got a plan, and it's a plan for good, for not just her own good, but for Ruth's good and for the, really, for the good of of many others as well. 
for the good of her family, even for the good of those who died, so that their name would carry on. And so she hatches this plan to send Ruth to make it really obvious to Boaz that she wants to marry him. That's what it's all about. The changing of the clothes, the perfuming, the getting ready, the going in the middle of the night. Um, that sounds a little bit dodgy, and it, it kind of is. Um, but it's also a sensible thing. It's kind of the only thing that they could do, because it would have been difficult for Boaz, as an older man, to declare his love for Ruth. And it would have been probably impossible for them to go in broad daylight, uh, in public, to go and proposition him and kind of hatch the plan in front of him and tell him about it or make it a public thing. So it has to be quiet. It has to be in the middle of the night so that if he says no, it'll be okay. Nobody gets embarrassed and nobody else hears about it. So it doesn't put the plan at risk. Naomi has a plan, a plan for strategic righteousness, a plan for good for those around her, which is a little bit different from what we said last week. If you were here, remember I said that they just took the godly next step. They didn't have a big plan. They just did what was godly. What was the next thing to do today that was good, walking through the open doors that God had provided for them. This is a little bit different, isn't it? This is Naomi with hope in her heart, with hope that has made her come alive, hope in, in the completely trustworthy love of God. Hope in the love of God makes her radically bold in faith. It is a bit of a bold and risky plan, isn't it? So we should do that as well. I wonder what your plans are for your life. I wonder if you have ever sat down and thought, what is it that God is asking me to do? What is it that I could do that's good for the people around me, that brings honour to his name? I wonder if you've ever made a strategy for righteousness. And like we said last week, we need to hold those plans in open hands, reminding ourselves that God is the one who guides our steps, even if we plan in our hearts. But we should be making a plan. Sometimes you can only just do the godly next step and you don't know what the future will hold. But other times... We should pray that God would give us an inkling as to what we should do and we should make big plans for good things for his glory. So there's some strategic righteousness in Naomi's idea, but it's Ruth that takes the risk on herself, isn't it? And it's a risky thing, like you said, in the middle of the night to a powerful man dressed up and available. Anything could happen, especially in the time of the judges when people just did whatever they wanted. So it's a risky thing. She makes herself really vulnerable, doesn't she? Do you see what she's doing? She's not propositioning him. Um, she kind of is in a way, but she's propositioning something which is really good. She's throwing herself, trusting herself onto his good character. You put yourself in this kind of situation and it might be a really risky thing, unless it's Boaz that you're going to. We'll see that in a minute with his response. But, um, but Ruth is vulnerable, isn't she? She's putting herself in the hands of God's good character, trusting herself to God, that he'll do good and trusting herself to Boaz's good character. That so far, he's just done good to her. He's looked after her. He's possibly even shown that, that he does love her. Um, he's the one who prayed that prayer, saying, may God put his wings around you as you've come under those wings. Maybe there's a little bit of a hint there that he would like to put his wings around her, wrap her up and keep her safe and bring her in as his wife. But he's an older man, it might be awkward for him to declare his love for a younger woman. So he's been really subtle and gentle and poured unbelievable kindness over Ruth and Naomi over the last six weeks. Six weeks. And so they reckon, I reckon, Naomi and Ruth have an inkling that Boaz will say yes. And so she goes and asks him to be her redeemer. Did you see what she asks him? It's in verse nine. I'm your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment or your wings over me. It's the same word. 
since you are our guardian redeemer. Guardian redeemer is somebody close in your family who helps you, bails you out of difficult situations. Um, if you lost your land, lost your money, they would come and restore it to you and help you um, get out of that difficult situation. If your husband had died, like in this situation, they might even come. And Deuteronomy 25, you can go and read about it. There was a practice where they would then come and help you raise up sons, um, give you children, um, as in have a baby with you, so that your husband, your dead husband's line wouldn't die out. It was a really important thing for them. You can read more about that chapter four or come back next week and we'll talk about that. I know it sounds strange, but this was a good thing that they would do. She's asking him to do what he's, what only he could do. She's saying to Boaz, Boaz, you're a redeemer. So would you redeem me? You're the rescuer. You're the one who can do this. So would you do it for us? Would you help us? Um, and what's Boaz's response? When, Boaz, when she asks him that, his response is to say, of course I will. Of course I will. Uh, he says it two times. Um, I will do all that you ask in verse 11 and in verse uh, 13. I will do it. Does that ring any bells for you? It's like when we come to Jesus, when you take all of your burdens, all of our sins, all of our reputation, all of our troubles, and we come to the Lord Jesus and we say, Lord, you are a rescuer. You're the only one who can help me. Will you rescue me? Lord, you are the forgiver. You're the one who offers your blood for, for us to forgive us and wash us and make us clean. So will you forgive me? and make me clean? And what does Jesus say to us? He says, of course I will. Of course I will. Anyone who comes to me, I'll never drive away. Jesus said that. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ask, the door will be opened. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. Jesus welcomes us with open arms, just like Boaz welcomes her with open arms and wraps her under his wings. He's really willing to help her. And just think for a moment, what kind of situation is he in? Um, as he's, he's a little bit worse for wear. He's at a, been at a harvest party and he's become merry with wine. So his inhibitions are down. He's also been woken up in the middle of the night by a strange woman. Um, and when I, when I get woken up in the middle of the night by a baby at the moment, it, it, I'm never, never in a particularly good frame of mind. It leaves me grumpy and frustrated and half groggy in a sleep. Or if you've ever drunk, um, alcohol, you'll know it lowers your inhibitions. Even when you're merry, it lowers your inhibitions and the kind of your true self begins to come out. If you're grumpy and tired, that happens. If you're a little bit drunk, that happens. Our true selves come out. And what happens with Boaz? He's in both of those situations. And what happens with him? What's the true self that you see? It's kindness. Isn't that beautiful? That when he's under pressure, kindness flows out of his heart. When he's a little bit worse for wear, when his true self comes out, what do you see? Well, he thanks her for giving him the opportunity to show kindness. He says and blesses her and says, look, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be kind to you. Of course I'll do it. Of course I'll help. I wonder if that reminds you of Jesus at all. I mean, what comes out? What, um, what emerges from Jesus' character when he's under pressure? When you cut him? He bleeds grace and mercy and goodness. You see, Jesus was at the cross, not just a little worse for wear, not just a little bit under pressure, 
not just a bit grumpy uh, because he hadn't had much sleep at the cross. Jesus was battered and bruised and pierced. His tongue was parched. He was under a dark cloud of God's judgment. And what came out of him then? When his true self was revealed in that suffering, he said, Father, forgive them. He said, my, my God, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When Jesus was under pressure at the cross, suffering for us, grace poured out of him. You see, Boaz points us towards him. He's a great big neon sign that shows us Jesus right back in the ancient stories of the Old Testament. You can see, can you see Jesus clearly there? So would you come to him today and say, oh Lord, you're my redeemer. Would you redeem me? You're my forgiver. Would you forgive me? You're the rescuer, would you rescue me? You're the helper, would you help me? You're the comforter, would you comfort me? Do you see what she's asking? She's saying, I'm available. I've got no other options. I just want you, Boaz. I want you to do what only you can do for me. I want you to wrap your arms around me and take me home. But maybe you don't feel good enough for that. Uh, maybe you feel like, I mean, he says to her, everybody knows you're a woman of noble character. Of course I'll do it for you. But maybe you don't feel that you're of noble character. Maybe you're not. I know I'm not a particularly noble character. Do I deserve for God to wrap his wings, his blankets around me to keep me warm, to keep me safe and provided for and take me home? I don't deserve that. In fact, if you look back in my family history or any of our family histories, there's a lineage of, a heritage of, sin and mistakes and darkness and stuff that we sometimes really struggle to get away from. I want you to see one more thing about Boaz and about Jesus from this passage before we finish. And that is that Boaz, Boaz is the circuit breaker. Boaz is the one who says enough to the darkness and begins to bring light into the situation. He's already done that a little bit in chapter two, but this is where you really see it. Okay, let me explain a bit of history. So thinking caps on, concentrate now if you've drifted off. Um, Boaz came from a line that started with Perez. Flick over the page, look at the genealogy, the family tree, right at the end of the story, you'll see it starts with a man called Perez. Now Perez's parents were Judah and Tamar. You can go read their story in Genesis 38 if you want to later on. Um, there is a bit of an icky story, so just watch out for it. But anyway, Judah um, had a daughter-in-law called Tamar who... Um, in really strange and kind of horrible circumstances, ended up sleeping with her father-in-law um, and uh, they had a child who was Perez. And so in Boaz's line, there's sexual sin, stuff that should not have happened, that has flowed down through every generation. And in um, Ruth's line, she's a Moabite. Well, go back and look at their family history in Genesis chapter 19 and you'll find Lot, the story of Lot and his daughters who also tricked him, got him drunk when he was asleep, slept with him so that they could have children. And so you have that in both of their family trees. And then in this story, you have lots and lots of echoes of those stories of a woman who comes kind of veiled at nighttime to a man who's of, the, of a generation above her in a situation where she hasn't ha, ha, doesn't have a child, there's nobody to carry on the lineage. That's the problem for Judah and Tamar. It's a problem for Lot and his daughters. And she comes in the dead of night into a situation that seems kind of pretty dodgy, doesn't it? When you first read through it, that's kind of um, 
it just doesn't seem like it's going in a good direction. It's dark in the story. It's nighttime. And there's a powerful man with a defenseless woman who's come perfumed and it seems like they're going to carry on the sins of their forefathers and foremothers. It seems like sin is just going to carry on. Sin is crouching at the door. But Boaz slams the door shut. Boaz has the opportunity to take her and do what he wants with her, but he doesn't do it. Boaz says no. He says, tonight we are going to do what is right. Tonight, darkness will stop. Those family history, that um, heritage of sin ends here. And we're going to start a new chapter. Boaz does that. Uh, but then you read on through the rest of Old Testament history and you'll see that, that other people carry on sinning. That David had a, uh, made a real mess of his life, sexually and in all sorts of other ways. I wonder if that strikes a chord with you. Are you somebody who has stuff in your family history, stuff in your own history that you just can't seem to, you just can't seem to break the cycle? It just won't go away. Well, do you know what Boaz points us to? He points us to Jesus, who is the ultimate circle breaker. The one who, who stops the cycle of sin, who says enough is enough. It is going to die here today. Jesus walked up Calvary's mountain and died on a cross for you to put to death the old you. So that when you come to Jesus, when you say, will you wrap your arms around me? Will you cover me with your wing? He actually makes you a new person. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sin and temptations again, but it does mean that the cycle can stop. It can stop with you. It can stop today. It can stop when, when you, in the power of Jesus's cross, and by his spirit in you, when you say, enough. When Jesus in you and through you says, today is going to be the last day of that old family history. Today is going to be the end of that story. And we're going to write a new chapter. You see, Jesus is the one who planted a new seed of a new family tree in history. This lineage of Boaz and Ruth doesn't just go back to Judah and Tamar and Lot and his daughters. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Our lineage goes back to them, people who couldn't, who couldn't stand against temptation. But Jesus has come in and planted a new family tree in history and invites you into it. So look, if this is you, if you're struggling with sinful habits, if you're st struggling with darkness that just won't go away, if you're under a cloud, if you're in chapter one and you just don't know where it ends, well, can you let it end with Jesus? Would you bring all of that history to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, please, could it be a new day today? Would you wrap your wings around me? Would you make it stop today and give me a new chapter? Would you graft me in, link me in, write me in to your family tree so that I could be free of this? If that strikes a chord with you, then that's a prayer you need to pray today. You need to pray that the Lord would give you strength, that Jesus would give you the strength of his cross of his spirit who walks with you day by day, of his people around you to say, come on, we can do this together. We need to bring that stuff out into the light, bring it to Jesus. And what does he say when you bring it to him and ask him, ask him to be your redeemer, to start a new chapter? He will say to you, like Boaz said to Ruth, of course, I will do everything that you ask. I will do it. Jesus at the cross says he has done it. It is finished. If that's you, Please come to him today. Don't let it roll on any longer. Be the person who breaks that circuit in the power of Jesus' name. Shall we pray?
Lord God, we thank you so much for this wonderful story. There's so much more that we haven't chewed over today. But Lord, we thank you. It's a story so full of, of you bringing light out of darkness, so full of you bringing people who are empty, who are just run down, who had lost everything. Lord, they were empty in every sense, and you filled them up. You gave them hope and a future. You gave them spiritual life under your wings. You gave them physical life through the goodness of others. Lord, we pray that you would write into our hearts, onto our minds at the moment, things that you would like us to do and change uh, and people you would like us to be as a result of what we've heard today and what we've been hearing over the last few weeks in Ruth. Lord, we want to be people like Boaz, who are the embodiment of your goodness in the world. We want to be people like Ruth, who are humble and trust you and love and give ourselves to other people. We want to be people like Naomi, who have dark clouds lifted, who see your hand at work and who trust you and, and plot righteous, beautiful, good strategies for, for the goodness of others and Lord, um, for the good of others and for the glory of your name. Lord, we want to be people who live out the cross of Jesus Christ, who trust you day by day and who go to live in your power. So we pray that you would help us to do that. Would you make us people who are like Ruth? Would you make us people who are kind like Boaz? Would you make us people who trust you like Naomi and who live for you every step of our lives? Amen.